Genesis 37, we'll start reading in verse 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness, lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and a balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen. They drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it. And said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son Morning, thus his father wept for him. I want to preach for a few minutes on the subject of living victoriously in the midst of crazy circumstances. I think too often we use life circumstances as an excuse for being down, upset, frustrated, angry, depressed. Honestly, Looking at this nation, I'm beyond disturbed. We've gone off the edge of a cliff. And I know we should preach and pray and hope for revival, but I believe we've come to a point of no return, a place where God must judge this nation. We've taken a path that's contrary to his word. But here's what happens if you sit around and Look at society, you'll soon allow the circumstances to begin to affect your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions. I know beside the problems that we face on a national level, there are financial levels where maybe we don't have as much money as we'd like or maybe we're looking at the coming increase in the cost of insurance, the cost of living in general. Possibly you're just dealing with problems in your family, in your home, with your children, with a loved one. Whatever it is, we allow ourselves an excuse why we just can't live the victorious Christian life. 
God has done everything to help us live victoriously as Christians. Just the fact that he's given us his written word, a Holy Spirit that indwells us, a church full of people that love us, a support system that very few people have in life. The resources that we have at our fingertips are simply amazing. But Jacob had none of that, and he had a lot of chaos going on in his home. And as a father, instead of controlling it, now, you have to understand, he did have 12 boys. That, that's a handful. If you have one or two, that's a handful. He had 12, and they greatly disliked, I guess you could say they hated their brother Joseph, the favored one. So they formulated a plan. They see him coming out there, and the rest of them actually want to slay him. Reuben stands up for him, saves his life. Judah also is one of those that steps in on his behalf when Reuben leaves. Uh, Judah allows him to be sold instead of killed. And then in the end, look what happens. They take Joseph's coat, verse 31. They kill a kid of goats. They dip the coat in blood. They send the coat of many colors. They bring it to their father, and they say, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. My life is over. I can't be happy. I'm going to go down to the grave, weeping and mourning, because life circumstances are greater than my God. I want to talk about a few basic things. Because Satan wants our minds, Satan wants control of our minds if he's lost our soul. If he knows our destiny is heaven, he said, well, I can still ruin their life. Do it through their thinking. I can get everything all twisted up. Listen, folks, it's not God's will for us as Christians to live with a messed up mind. God wants us to have peace and joy. God wants us to experience happiness. God wants us to have a good life, and that life doesn't have to depend upon the circumstances because God is faithful no matter what the circumstances are in our life. Well, preacher, you don't understand because you don't have older children. You haven't suffered what I've suffered. You're not dealing with the physical pain. You haven't uh, heard the news that I've received from the doctor. You don't understand the circumstance that I have at this moment. Listen, all of us will have circumstances that will mess with our minds. And if we're not careful, lead us to depression, extreme depression, guilt, frustration. Now, I want to say a couple things before we even get started. Number one, you got to be careful about what you believe, okay? Because here's the way Satan gets in and starts to play with your mind. We're supposed to live by faith. And when we're not focused on God, His might, His power, and our faith is not founded on his word, Satan gets a toehold in the door and starts to play in the playground of our minds. And the first thing we do, we start to believe just about everything that we hear. And we don't even hear what we heard. Because if I asked you about this story, you would say, well, his boys came to him and told him that Joseph had been killed. No, that's not what they told him at all. They brought him a coat and said, is this your son's coat? And you know what happened in Jacob's mind? My son's dead. The beast has slain him. We always believe the worst. We never believe the best. Good news. Nah, I don't believe it. Bad news. What is it? Tell it to me. We just tend to believe the worst. And they never even mentioned his death. 
they implied, and be careful because when people come and talk to you, they always come with an agenda. And most of the time they're not lying, they're just implying. And you believe the implication. Matter of fact, you don't just believe the implication, but your imagine takes off and runs wild for the next day or two. And you imagine the worst of the worst. Civilization is about ready to come to an end. Well, folks, I'm, I'm saddened in the past, the history of the church. Preachers have always stood up on social issues and preached the truth. We're supposed to warn not just our churches, not just our cities, but our nation. This is a nation that has done things that are an abomination to God. Homosexuality is still an abomination to God. Adultery is still an abomination to God. The murder of innocent babies is still an abomination to God. But now, radio talk show hosts speak more about national issues and are more fearless than the preachers in our pulpits. They live fearful of losing members or tithes or money associated with that church or being affected on a national level. And that fear has silenced the men in our pulpits so they've stopped preaching what they're supposed to be preaching. They've stopped saying, they've stopped proclaiming the truth. So people aren't even hearing the truth anymore. So whatever is said, whatever's implied out there, people just simply believe it. People believe talk show hosts more than they believe their own preacher. Now, folks, it is evident that we are headed towards an economic cliff, a financial crash. You cannot create this level of national debt, international debt, and personal debt and sustain it for an extended period of time. It's just impossible. And God will judge us as a nation for national sins. Now, we get our minds so focused on all the talk, everything else that's going on around us, we forget that we still have a God in heaven that knows where we're at, knows our needs. But here's what happens. We see blood on a coat, and the first thing that comes to mind, the worst. Be careful. Don't believe everything you hear. This is why occasionally, you know, you know the best thing you can do in this day and age? Turn the TV off. Stop wasting money on newspapers. Don't believe everything you read on Drudge. Just eliminate gossips from your life. One of the best things you can do is always consider the, the source of what you hear. Listen, if the church gossip told you that, you say there's a church gossip, there's always a church gossip. If the church critic told you that, consider the source. You better be careful about believing everything you hear because that's one of the ways that Satan will play with your mind and you can't live a victorious Christian life when all the wrong people have your ear and you're being bombarded by misinformation, wrong information, depressing information. You're, you're focused on everything, the problems at work and your problems at home, the problems in the nation and the social and the economic problems. And all of this becomes overwhelming because you've got your eyes on this level instead of looking up at an almighty God, an all-powerful God that loves you, is concerned with you and can help you. You're suddenly overwhelmed by life. 
You can't live a victorious Christian life looking horizontally at everything that's going on around you. You'll be depressed. You will be frustrated. You better change your focus. And you better understand one of the ways that Satan will play with your mind is by believing everything you hear. So they come. They bring a coat. When they came, they came with an agenda. And remember, when you get someone's story, it's always one-sided, and it always comes with an agenda. Be careful. Everyone's motives are not always as pure as the driven snow. Verse 33, he knew it, he knew it, he knew it. As soon as he saw the coat, he knew it. This is the coat, this is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him. Better be careful, you can't always believe what you see. How many times have you read something in a book, seen something in a movie, watched something on the nightly news? We can't live victorious because we're so consumed with everything else that is happening around us. Because we heard it and we saw it and now our thoughts are just racing. Not consumed with the Word of God, not consumed with others, not consumed with what God wants to do and can still do through us. Did you know what God can still do through Capital City Baptist Church in 2013? Our focus is so messed up. We're so controlled by the circumstances. Here's, here's Jacob. Yes, everything in his favor. He's God's chosen man. He is the father of the 12 men that are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, he should know based solely on God's promise that Joseph can't be dead. He's one of the 12 tribes. Joseph, when he's sold into slavery, he's not even married yet. His offspring are going to play an important role in the Jewish history. But if he had just listened to God in chapter 35, when God was telling him, prophesying how he was going to use him, what was going to happen in his life, he would have said, there's no way my son can be dead because God said, these are things that are going to happen in my family, and Joseph is a part of that. He was all caught up in the situation, and he's looking at this coat. Where's his focus, on his God or the coat? Look at his bloody coat, and he's saying, Joseph, my son is dead. My life is over. I'm going to go down to the grave morning. And that's what he did. Every day, those boys go out to work, and they come back to the house, and there's his dad with that coat mourning. They needed a father in their home. And we see the problem that resulted because Jacob wasn't a father. He was a mourning figure that couldn't move to the future. He's living in the past he is crying over a son that's not even dead. He wasted years and years of his life crying for something that hadn't even happened. But in his mind, in his mind, he'd wake up every day and he would look at, he wore that coat out crying over a son that was second to Pharaoh in Egypt, living in a palace, eating great food, helping people out, living the life of a king and dad was back home crying because his son had died. What a pathetic place that home had to be when those boys needed instruction and guidance and counsel. And here's dad every day carrying around a rope. And can you imagine how those boys felt? They knew it was a lie. The kids knew it was a lie. And they're thinking, dad, how long are you going to do this? 
Dad, how long are you going to carry around that coat? How long are you going to cry for Joseph? Dad, when are you going to wake up and live your life? Dad, when are you going to help us out? Dad, when are you going to move past that coat? And I think at some point, Reuben and Judah, who had saved his life, got together with their brethren and said, this is sick, this is sad. What did we do? Look how we messed up our own daddy. He can't even move past a lie that we told him. Because he's believing things he didn't even hear. And saying things that aren't even true. How many Christians do that? Hold on for a second. You better be careful that you don't believe everything you hear. And you better be careful you don't believe everything you see. But you definitely better not believe everything you think. You know why so many Christians are in trouble? They believe what they actually think. Verse 33, he sees the coat. What's he say? He knew it and he said, it is my son's coat and evil Evil beast included in that story. Did it devour him? Now, how hypothetical is that in Israel? An evil beast. That's happening all the time, right? Jumps out, devours him, Joseph, without doubt. Now, think about these statements. This is not accidental. God put in his word to show us, not just a man, but a trap that we fall into, Joseph, without doubt, is rent in pieces. And how many Christians live their life in a state of fear or frustration or doubt? And you're looking at the circumstances, you're looking at the scene, you're looking at the chaos, you're looking at uh, this person, or I don't care if it's a son or an uncle, a grandmother, grandfather, a brother, a marriage, uh, your job situation. I don't care if it's a school situation, a future, your financial circumstances. You are looking at this and you're saying, without a doubt, this is hopeless. Can you imagine after a few years, the boys wake up and Jacob's there with that coat. He's still crying. He's still sitting in his rocker. He's still sobbing. And not far away, Joseph is sitting down, golden chains around his neck. Servants at his whim, plates at the table, steaks, while many are starving to death. If you're going to cry for someone in the whole world, the last person you should be crying for is Joseph. You're talking about having it made in the shade. He's got it made in the shade. You know how much time we spend wasting crying over things that are never going to happen fearful of things that are never going to come to pass. Now listen, I believe you ought to be careful. I believe you ought to be ready for the storm before it gets here. But I also believe there's a lot of craziness. Like those of you that bought 50 gallons of wheat and riots and don't look at me like that. You were born way before 1999. You had those huge water containers. What, who in the world is going to eat a 50-gallon drum of wheat, raw wheat? Explain that to me. I grew up on beans, but I guarantee you over the course of my life, 40 years and living nine of those in Mexico, I have yet to eat 50 gallons of beans. And they put on there two-year supply. Listen, that'll last you for a lifetime. After about six months, all you need is about six beans to be fully satisfied. 
Boy, how Satan plays with our mind. How many remember looking at newspaper ads and seeing about 10 months later 50-gallon drums of wheat and rye and beans for sale? $10. Yeah, they had paid $487. You say, preacher, you're not going to be laughing when the quake hits. No, I'm going to be begging you for your beans. <laughs> Listen, if you haven't sold them, don't sell them now, amen? Freeze dry them. Save them. No, seriously. We, we truly start to believe everything that passes through our mind. You don't want to do that. Have you ever thought something in a moment of depression, a moment of frustration, a moment of anger, and 24 hours later you're thinking, wow, that was really crazy. Thank God I didn't act on that one. <laughs> Have you ever thought about just moving, quitting? Have you ever thought, man, I'm just going to walk into my boss and I'm just going to tell him, I'm just going <laughs> to... Everything that I've thought about him for the past 15 years, I'm just going to tell him. You walk in the next day and he says, you know, we're going to give you a raise. And you say, ah, <laughs> just wanted to tell you I appreciate you and I was thinking about this gift card right here was for you. <laughs> Doesn't have your name on the outside, but it has your name on the inside. It's funny how the moment can get our minds so messed up. And we go from day to day and Satan literally plays with our mind from day to day. God doesn't want that of any Christian. Listen, you should find some kind of level ground. You say, I've got a good book, and I've got a good mate, and I've got a good God, and I've got a good church, and I have a good word, and I, I have a lot of things in my favor. There is no way in the world that I should be tossed to and fro, that I should be living on an emotional roller coaster and a victorious Christian life means I am pleasing God every day. Here's what we do. We tend to think that the outward actions are sufficient to please our Heavenly Father. But God wants to see a mind that is stable. The people around you need to see a mind that is stable. Victorious despite your circumstances. And God can do that. You've read about the martyrs. You've read about people and other... Listen... In, in America, we have, we've had an unbelievable run of several centuries of religious freedom, unparalleled freedom in the history of the world. And I thank God for that. But that's coming to an end. But it doesn't take that kind of religious freedom. It, it doesn't take a perfect society. It doesn't take Christian values in society in order for you to live a victorious Christian life. If you have God, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you have this book, you have enough to be victorious today. And really, our definition of victory is pathetic. We define Christian victory normally as life survival. I survived today, so I was victorious. Didn't kill my husband. <laughs> Didn't scream at my kids. That's not victorious Christian living. Victory means your mind has stayed upon God. Now, here, here's really what we need to understand. Victorious Christian living is based on God's word. That's the only way to stabilize your mind is God's word. Everything else will put you on a roller coaster. 
Everything else in life will play with your emotions. This book is what stabilizes your mind. So if your mind is unstable, what do you need to do? Immediately run to God's word. And here's what we do. The truth will straighten out your mind. The only problem is we find it harder to believe the truth than we do to believe a lie. Look what it said in Genesis 45, verse 25. Genesis 45, 25. And they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of the Canaan, and to Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Here's the coat. I knew it. I know it. He's dead. A beast has devoured him. No witnesses, no proof, but a coat. Then you have 11 witnesses that come back and say, Joseph is alive. He's governor over Egypt. He says, nope, not believing that. We truly struggle with the truth. And here's the problem. When you think crazy, living down on the level of your circumstances, you're going to begin to talk crazy. And here's my biggest fear, because we're trying to get our church to be witnesses. We're trying to get our church to be disciples. We're trying to get our church to reach out into this community. And you can't reach out into the community unless you're living a victorious Christian life, and they can see it in your life, and they can hear your tone, and they listen to it in uh, what you say in your subject matter, and your confidence in God. The world ought to be able to see all those things in your life. But instead, they see the frustration in you, they see you're tense, preoccupied, depressed, angry. It comes out. Do you remember when Jacob meets Pharaoh? Genesis 47, verse 7. Joseph brought in Jacob's father and said him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old art thou? Now, he blows the whole conversation. He has 10 minutes with Pharaoh, and here's the only thing he says. Verse 9. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. And Pharaoh said, I, you know what? I got to call. I got I, I to go. And that was it. End of, end of the conversation. I mean, good night. This is the world's ruling empire. And you have the undivided attention of the leader of the world's ruling empire. And your only statement is, few and evil. And he got lost in the whole pilgrimage of the pilgrims of the pilgrimage. You know. And he's just like, okay. Good to meet you, bub. Later. Joseph, make sure he doesn't come back to the palace again. You know what Pharaoh said? That man's crazy. I mean, that man just rolled into the palace. He's here with all of his boys. He's just been re reunited with his son. He just has come to the realization that his life is nearly as good as it can get. I'm going to give him land. I'm going to give him a future. I'm going to help him get back on his feet. And the only thing he can say is, few and evil are the pilgrimage of the pilgrims that pass through the pilgrimage as pilgrims. If I was Pharaoh, I would have said, you know, you know that little town we have about 80 miles from here? Make sure he gets the furthest piece of land on that property because I don't want to ever see him again. And Joseph, if you ever have a party, don't invite your dad. 
Life seriously can't be that bad. Christian, that should not be the behavior that comes forth out of a Christian. I mean, good night. If nothing else, you know hell's not your destiny. You know heaven is your home. That alone ought to put a smile on your face and say, I don't have it as bad as they do because even if they have a few good moments in this life, they have an eternity that's waiting for them in the lake of fire. I have heaven as my hope. I've got a pretty good life. Here's what you got to do. Go to chapter 46, verse 1. The word of God has got to stabilize your thinking. Now, now what is believable? First of all, what you see is not always believable. What you hear is not always believable. What you think is definitely not believable. Verse 1, Israel took his journey with all that he had, came to Beersheba, offered sacrifice unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel. This is believable. Yeah. In the visions of the night, now that, no, no, don't go there because that's not you in 2013. You better not start trusting in your visions of the night or your holy pizza moments at 2.30 in the morning. This is back before the completion of the word of God. Amen. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. Did he do that? Now, here's what you do. When we're living in a society as messed up as this society, you better understand, unless you make this book your guide, unless you hear from God, unless you're guided by this book, your mind will go off track. And the farther you are from this book, the farther you are off track. And the less you read this book, the less stable you are mentally. You know what's happened to American society? There was a day and age that people went to church and even though they were not saved, they were still under the preaching of principles of the word of God and those principles maintained a level of, society, uh, maintained a level of sanity in our society that no longer exists because the word of God no longer exists in their hearts or minds. It's no longer even preached from our pulpits. And here's what's happening in our churches. Because the word of God is not a regular, daily part of our lives. We can't think straight. This book ties you to sanity. Have you ever thought about the world? Have you ever thought about how crazy it is that you have people that have been married three and four and five times? You talk about actresses that are on their eighth marriage. How do you do that? I mean, it almost has to be a goal. That's tough. I mean, how many times can you get mad, go through divorce proceedings, split up all of your ownings? At some point, you think you get tired of selling your house and figuring out who leaves with what. But they do it. That's the insanity that comes with a life without God, without principle, without this book, without the Word guiding you. You've seen people with 47 facial piercings, Earlobes as big as a silver dollar, hair three different colors. When you stray from the Word of God, you literally lose contact with sanity. The more you get in this book, the more you hear from God, the more you are consumed with the Word of God and filled with the Word of God, the saner you can think, the saner your home will be, 
the more sanity you'll see, not just in your thinking, but in your spirit, in your children, in your marriage, in your direction. Here's what's sad. If someone doesn't know Christ, if someone's not born again, you don't expect them to love this book or live this book or follow this book, but you would think as children of God, we'd be glued to this. Especially knowing this is the mind of God and the mind of God brings sanity and I want a sane life. Boy, more than ever, the longer I live and the more I pastor and, and the more I see, the more I desire sanity and that motivates me to get in this book. I love sanity. I love order. I love structure. I love knowing tomorrow things are going to be the way that they should be. I love coming home every day to the same woman. I love talking to my kids and knowing they're going to obey and do it with the right spirit. I love coming to a school and talk, teaching students that actually want to hear and they do their work assignments and they have a good spirit. I enjoy that, but that's all based upon the word of God. There's nothing worse than watching people who are Christians who've slowly allowed society and everything else and all the busyness and preoccupations and obligations of life take them away from this book and as they stray from this book they stray from sanity and slowly without even realizing it begin to distance yourself from the word of God and as you do it your life you're introducing into your life you're introducing in your marriage you're introducing to your children you're introducing into your thinking insanity and then one day you wake up and you say, what's wrong? What's happening? What's, what's going on in my life? Why can't I think straight? And here's what's worse. Usually we're the last people to identify it. Everyone else around us can identify it. And then one day your kids look at you and say, Dad, you're losing your marbles. And your wife looks at you and says, Honey, you're losing your mind. And you go to work and you say, I am. What happened? The Word of God. Bring sanity. You know why Joseph could look at his brothers in chapter 45 and say in verse 5, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. You know why he could forgive them. You know why he could help them. You know why they were fearful of retaliation because they didn't know the word of God. They weren't listening to the voice of God. They were isolated from the principles of the word of God. And because Joseph was living a life that was close to God, he was hearing from God, his circumstances were insane, but his sanity was perfectly fine. And why? God brings sanity to insane situations. God will help you be victorious in crazy circumstances of life. Your sanity does not have to depend upon your circumstances because sanity comes from God and from living by Bible principle. So Joseph's brethren, who had a family structure that should have provided sanity, were living without sanity. And Joseph in Egypt, sold as a slave, lied about, cast into prison, finds himself perfectly happy, joyful, peaceful, and sane. Explain that. You know what it is? God brings sanity. God's word brings sanity. It's not your circumstances that have messed you up. Not your circumstances that have taken your peace. Because when you love this book and you make it a vital part of your life, 
it brings a sanity that people will envy. When you distance yourself from this book and the principles, you won't be able to recover from the insanity that you introduce.